0: Isaiah 30. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in Zoan, and their envoys have arrived in Hanes, everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. A prophecy concerning the animals of the Negev. Through a land of hardship and distress, of lions and lionesses, of adders and darting snakes, the envoys carry their riches on donkeys' backs their treasures on the humps of camels, to that unprofitable nation, to Egypt, whose help is utterly useless. Therefore I call her Rahab the do-nothing. Go now, write it on a tablet for them, inscribe it on a scroll, that for the days to come it may be an everlasting witness. For these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions, And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave this way. Get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you have rejected this message, relied on oppression, and depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant." It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride on off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one, at the threat of five you will all flee away, till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountain top, like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore He will rise up to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. People of Zion, who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Then you will desecrate your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold gold you will throw them away like a menstrual cloth and say to them, away with you. He will also send you rain for the seed you sow in the ground, and the food that comes from the land will be rich and plentiful. In that day, your cattle will graze in broad meadows. The oxen and donkeys will work the soil. that work the soil will eat fodder and mash, spread out with a fork and shovel. In the day of great slaughter, when the towers fall, streams of waters will flow on every high mountain and every lofty hill. The moon will shine like the sun, and the sunlight will be seven times brighter, like the light of seven full days, when the Lord binds up the bruises of his people and heals the wounds of the inflicted. See, the name of the Lord comes from afar, with burning anger and dense clouds of smoke. His lips are full of wrath, and his tongue is a consuming fire. His breath is like a rushing torrent, rising up to the neck. He shakes the nations in the sieve of destruction. He places in the jaws of the peoples a bit that leads them astray. And you will sing, as on the night you celebrate a holy festival, your hearts will rejoice as when people playing pipes go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel. The Lord will cause people to hear his majestic voice and will make them see his arm coming down with raging anger and consuming fire with a cloudburst, thunderstorm, and hail. The voice of the Lord will shatter Assyria. With his rod, he will strike them down. Every stroke the Lord lays on them with his punishing club will be to the music of tambourines and harps as he fights them in battle with the blows of his arm. Topheth has long been prepared. It has been made ready for the king. Its fire pit has been made deep and wide with an abundance of fire and wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of burning sulfur, sets it ablaze. This is the word of the Lord. Uh,
1: morning, everyone. If we've not met, uh, my name's Matt Fuller. I'm the vicar here. Let's pray and make sense of it together. Our great God and Father, what a lovely picture that you, the Lord, long to be gracious to his people. Therefore, you will rise up to show compassion. Father, help us understand you rightly, your irritation with people's stupidity, but your longing to be gracious and compassionate. Help us understand that rightly this morning from Isaiah, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, if you are joining us, yes, we're in the year 705 BC at the moment. And we said it's a little bit like if you're in Ukraine at the moment, you're anxious you're going to be invaded by Russia. And in the year 705 BC, if you're in the little nation of Judah, you're anxious you're going to be invaded by Assyria. Apart from the comparison, only works if. I don't know, Judah is about the size of Wales with an army the size of Belgium or something. You know, it's like Russia versus something absolutely tiny. Tiny, tiny, tiny Judah is threatened by the massive empire of Assyria, the global superpower of the day. That's the context. But what does it mean in normal life? One friend, uh, he said, you imagine it like this. Imagine being at a dinner table in Judah in 705 BC with a slightly irritating teenager who says, now, mum and dad, look, everyone's talking about Assyria at the moment and we're going to get invaded and they're like, going to smash us and destroy us. Um, but they're not, are they? I mean, I know they've wiped out everyone over the last 40 years. They've just you know, become this massive empire. I know that. And I know they've destroyed our neighbours, Samaria in the north, our sort of brother nation, but Samaria, they, they like gave up on God, didn't they? They like had sort of uh, their own religion and their own altars. But we're different, aren't we, here in Judah? Because we've got God on our side. And King Hezekiah, our king, he, um, he's faithful, isn't he? He trusts God and, and, and um, he's descended from great King David. And God said to David, there'll always be a king on his throne. So we're fine, aren't we? I mean, Assyria can't defeat us because we've got God on our side. Well, son, it's a bit more complicated than that. Oh, you always say stuff like that. But what I don't understand is this, all right? Like, uh, I go to the temple, and they say in the temple, you can trust God. You can trust God's promises. And like, at school today, we were all given a flag of Egypt and told to colour it in so that next week, when the Egyptian ambassadors come, To make a treaty with us, so we can fight together against Assyria. We all wave our flags in the streets. So at the temple, I'm said you can trust God, but at school, I'm told, well, that's just not very realistic. You have to trust in politics. You have to trust in alliances. But I don't understand because, like, we began as a country when we left Egypt. Yeah, Um, we left Egypt, and with like the plagues and like the parting of the Red Sea. So God's already shown he's like miles stronger than Egypt. So what's, what are we doing, making an alliance with Egypt? It makes zero sense. Well, son, it's a bit more complicated than you realise. And when you're older, you'll understand. Oh, I don't understand adults. When we have Bible lessons, it's all about God's promises. When we do geography, when we do politics, it's all about weapons. It's all about who's got the biggest tanks. It's all about who's got the best alliances. I just don't understand. I reckon you adults have lost the plot. All you adults talk about is the latest tank, an F 16 fighter. And you seem to trust them and not God. I think, I reckon, in a few years you'll realize all how stupid you are. And um, some of you can understand that better than others. That sort of dialogue. Um, but that is, that is the politics of the year 705 BC. That was a city picture in one sense. But that's very much what's going on. There's Judah, a nation. They've got God. And the promises of God saying, "I will keep you safe." But when you're faced with this vast empire, this unstoppable war machine trundling towards you. Is that enough? Isn't it shrewd to get a few more tanks to defend yourself or chariots in their day? And so at that point, I hope you can start to see how relevant that is to us. Perhaps particularly or most acutely, if you're a Christian, you may not have a teenager pointing out your theological inconsistencies to you, although some will in this room. You don't need that, but many of us can have a gap between our professed faith in the promises of God and how we live, life day to day. We go to church, it's all about God's promises. We go to school, we go to work, and it's all about who's got the tanks, who's got the right alliances, and there seems a gap between the two. And so this section of Isaiah, really the whole thing, chapters 28 through to 39, it's saying, it's Isaiah calling Israel, to saying, look, don't trust in Egypt who will let you down. Trust in the Lord who will not. So it is a call for us here who are Christians to address the disconnect between a declaration of trust in Jesus and... Well, perhaps our daily trust in our own wisdom. And if we're not yet persuaded by the Christian faith, trust God. Trust in the offer of heaven provided by Jesus, not yourself. Now, the turning, the the, the chapter 30, chapters 30 and 31 are basically the same. Chapter 31 is just a shorter version. So we're just in chapter 30. Uh, And really, it works a bit like this verses 1 to 17, don't be stupid. The turning point comes in verse 18. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, He will rise up to show you compassion. He longs to be gracious to you. That's our God. That's the living God. It's a lovely picture. Somewhat like um, I don't know, a, a fan at a sports match, a football match. And, uh, they're sat in their seat, but they long for their team to score. They long for there to be a goal, and as the team progresses up the pitch, and it's always an opportunity, uh, all the fans, they rise to their feet, oh, and and they sit back down again, and the next time, there's this, oh, yeah. There's a longing, a longing for victory in that case, a rising up. Well, that's a picture of the living God. He is longing to be gracious to you. What's required of the people, verse 19, you just got to cry for help. People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you'll weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he'll answer you. So really what we'll look at in chapter 30 is this. The Lord longs to be gracious, so stop trusting in chariots and return to him. The Lord longs to be gracious with your eternity and also your day-to-day struggles, so don't trust in your own resources. Turn to him. Excuse me. Right, let's work through it then, Uh, just in these two sections. Uh, First then, verses 1 to 18, don't trust in chariots, then 18 to 33, return to the Lord. What we get then is uh, this language of obstinacy and rebellion in chapter 30. Chapter 30, verse 1. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me. Obstinate? Yeah, look, there's no ambiguity. The Bible has been clear. You, Judah, you don't make an alliance with Egypt. I mean, remember, that's how you began as a nation. You came out of Egypt. Don't go back there. And uh, Exodus 13, Deuteronomy 17 would say, don't strike an alliance with Egypt. So there's no ambiguity in this. But that's what they do. And not only is it disobedient, it's daft. That's the main stress, really, of this section. It's daft because Egypt will let you down. Verse 3. Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in zone and the envoys have arrived in Hannah's, everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them. Bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame, disgrace. Why make an alliance which is useless, disgraceful, shameful? Why would you do that? But people go, oh, look, they've got officials in zone in Hannah's, these just areas in the Nile Delta. Oh, look, but... but um, Egypt. They've got like really expensive consulates. Look, look, no, they've got bling. Don't be impressed. You'll be put to shame. Do you no good? I mean, in military terms, maybe think of, uh, uh, if you like your history, uh, the, the Maginot line, people know that, you know, but just in the run-up to the Second World War, uh, uh, the French generals built this magnificent... I mean, it's still you can still go and see lots of chunks of it. Magnificent defensive structure, the Maginot Line. It, you know, all the way from the um, uh, uh, Italy, all the way up to Belgium. Uh, this phenomenal, impenetrable defensive structure. No bomb could disrupt the, the Maginot Line. No tank could break into it, break through it. The fortifications, state of the art. Like in, in 1930s, he had air conditioning for the troops. Oof. Um, I mean it was really I mean they spent in today's money billions upon billions upon billions. Impenetrable. But if you know your history what happened the Nazi forces just went round it. And so it was a like a twenty billion dollar white elephant. So it's still there today in parts, you can go and see it and go, Oh yes. I imagine if you tried to attack it it would have been hard, but if you just go around it, it's okay. But in 1939, we'll be safe because we've got, oh, that's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? Or I guess more personally, or if you forgive me, it's a bit like saying, look at my magnificent, enormous pension pot. Look at my pension pot. On the day I retire, I'll have so much money, I won't know what to do with it. And on the day you retire, you drop dead of a heart attack. No. no. Why would you trust in those sort of things? Says the Lord. Verse 6 is this sort of comedic picture of um, Judah sending a caravan of animals sort of loaded down with treasure to form this deal with Egypt. So um, uh, verse 6, through a land of hardship and distress, of lions and lionesses, of adders and darting snakes, the envoys carry their riches on donkeys' backs, their treasures on the humps of camels to the unprofitable nations. This picture is of Judah going, well, what we? yes, we've come through this sort of adversity and um, we've formed an alliance with Egypt. It's cost us a fortune, it was incredibly hard to get through this land of lions and snakes, but yes, we've got a deal with Egypt and they get there to Egypt and what do they find? Verse 7, Egypt whose help is utterly useless, therefore I call her Rahab the do-nothing. They sort of put all their hopes on an alliance and they arrive in Egypt and she's like a a hundred-year-old grandma asleep in the sun and you think that you've bet all your money on that to keep you safe. She's useless, Egypt. There's an obstinate trust. And also, in verse 8 to 17, a rebellious refusal to listen. So Isaiah is told, write this down, verse 8. Go now, write it on a tablet for them. Inscribe it on a scroll for the days to come. It may be an everlasting witness. Isaiah, can you write all this down? Because the people now are just not listening. But in years to come, they'll realise what happened. In, in, In like 2022, in the UK, they can read about this and think we mustn't be so stupid like the people back then and trust in ourselves and not in the Lord. Because back then, what was the attitude? Verse 9, these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions, and to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things, prophesy illusions. In other words, look, just shut up. We've made up our minds and we are not interested in what God has to say. It's not a great place to be. Do always sad when you hear that. Do you hear that from time to time? I just don't want to hear what the Bible has to say on sexual ethics. I don't want to hear it, says someone. I'm getting a divorce and remarrying, and I don't care what the Bible says. I don't want to read what the Bible says. I've made up my mind. Okay. We're pursuing IVF. Oh, that's tough. Do you, do you want to read what, a sort of biblical perspective on it because there's sort of good and bad ways of doing it? No. Look, it's hard enough as it is. We don't want to complicate the picture. We just don't want to know. Okay. Often it's the times when life is difficult. And you just, you know, in one sense it's just about holding life together. Sometimes. Do you want to know what the Bible says? No. No. Just, I've decided. No. But of course it's, it's quite easy to declare you trust the Lord when life is easy. Because you don't have to trust him. When life is easy, you just get on with it. It's when life is complicated. Then you know if you're trusting him or not, refusing to listen to him or being willing to do so. I'm not saying it's easy. I don't suppose if you're a tiny nation about to be swamped by a vast military force, you think trusting the Lord is easy, but it's right. And it's where you find your safety, security. And so the Lord says, oh, look, well, Assyria will invade, verse 12. This is what's going to happen. Uh, there's verse 13, this sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly in an instant. Look, we've been having this conversation for the last two decades, and you've been saying no, 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 and the, it's going to crash down on you, and Assyria will invade. That's what's going to happen. And if you want a summary, well, it's in chapter thirty and verse fifteen, and said a couple of times in the previous weeks. Here's a pretty good summary of the whole section, chapters twenty-eight to thirty-nine. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is, in your, is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we'll flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee from them. You said, we'll ride off on swift horses. No, therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you'll all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop. In other words, all that's going to be left of Jerusalem is just a flagpole. That's it. Now, what is the Lord saying? Verse 18, excuse me, verse 15. In repentance and rest is your salvation. That isn't do nothing, okay? Uh, rest is not do nothing. Rest is trust. Or as Jesus would put it in Matthew 11, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your soul. What does it mean? Trust me. Learn from me. Follow me, says Jesus. That's rest. That's resting. Turn back to me. Now look, for you and for me, how do we do that then? How do we trust in chariots? How do we trust in our own resources rather than the Lord? Well, I guess there's a primary sense. Before someone becomes a Christian, that maybe you... Function, you, you trust in your own resources. I think if, if there's a God, he'll accept me because I'm good. To get through life, I'll cope because I'm competent. I, I've got money in the bank. You trust in your own resources. The Christian is one who says, I can't get into heaven. <laughs> I, there's no way. I just need God to do it for me because I can't. There's that primary sense. But then as we live as Christians... Again, I think it manifests in having a gap between our profession of faith and our daily life. We can have our own obstinate alliances. I mean, let's be honest, you you and I can listen to people who just affirm our values and judgments. We have a decision to make, and we only listen to those who just agree with us. We don't listen to those who might say, is that right, biblically? How might we trust in chariots? I, don't know, I was trying to think about this for myself. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what you'd say if you followed me around for a week and compared how much Matt Fuller listens to God and prays to him uh, compared to how much he relies upon his own competence, uh, professionalism, reputation. Uh, I wonder what you'd make of that. Uh, I'd be mildly nervous about the conclusions you reach. And you could say, Matt, do do you trust in the Lord? Or do you trust in chariots? And my instinctive response is, well, I trust in the Lord, but you've got to use chariots. I mean, come on, you've got to use them. I mean, I trust in the Lord, but you've got to go to work and earn money. I trust in the Lord, but, you know, at some point, I've got to sit down and write a sermon. It doesn't magically appear any more than your work magically appears. You know, you've got to, you know, I trust in the Lord, but I still do cook dinner. I mean, come on, you, you, you need both. You need both. You, yeah, yeah. But as Jesus puts it, you can never serve two masters. Well, he would say you can either serve God or money. But primarily... Where is your trust? And how do you know that it's in the Lord and not your own competence? I find it mildly unsettling. Don't trust in chariots. But rather, in the second half of the chapter, return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. As I say, verse 18 is the turning point. The Lord... Longs to be gracious to you, therefore he'll rise up to show you compassion. The Lord is a God of justice. I think the point here is he's not raging. The, the wall of Assyria will crack and fall down upon the people. But it's a judicial sentence, Judgment, chapter 28. It's his strange work, his alien task. It's not his default setting that we said there. He longs to be gracious as soon as the people, verse 19, cry for help. What a picture! The Lord longs or waits to be gracious. What's he waiting for? For you and me to say help. But there's stubbornness. It's a bit like I guess uh, a teenage girl at this time, a teenage girl at war with her parents. You never give me any freedom. You know, we live in the sticks. And um, I never see my friends from school. I have to get on a bicycle. How embarrassing. I have to get on a bicycle to go and, and see any of my friends. But darling, we've just bought you a car. And what you don't understand is when I cycle to see my friends, I arrive in a sweaty mess and you make me such an embarrassment to everyone else. Darling, did you hear what we said? We've bought you a car. No, but you don't understand. Like last weekend, I sort of got on my bike and I was almost hit cycling down the lanes and, you know... Oh, you know, I get so frustrated. You're so boring and straight-laced as parents. No one's up. no one else I know has parents as boring as you. Darling, if you'd shut up <laughs> and stop your raging and listen, we have bought you a car. It's on the drive. We would give you lessons if you stop and listen. How about that? We want to do that for you. We're just waiting for you to stop and listen to us. It's that sort of picture. The Lord is waiting, he's longing to be gracious, and all Judah had to say was help. We need you. You are our strength. You are our security. And he'll guide and provide when that happens. So verse 2021 20, Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes you'll see them. Whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Do you see as opposed to oh we're not listening to God? Isaiah, just write it in a scroll, no one's listening. Now there's sort of intimate, proximate guidance. A bit like walking in a maze. Walking walking in a maze is easy if you've got a phone and someone's on a step ladder looking down on the maze. Turn right, turn left, you're in the center. All right. You know, that's easy if you've got that sort of level of guidance. That's the sort of picture. First is twenty-three to twenty-six, you get a sort of hyperbole introduced of a picture of the future, I think. So verse 23 he'll send you rain for the seed you sow in the ground the food that comes from the land will be rich and plentiful in that day your cattle will graze in broad meadows even they'll get great food the oxen and the donkey that work the soil will eat fodder and mash I'm sure I saw that on a menu at a pub the other day um, spread out with fork and shovel even the animals have got abundance okay and verse 25 there's water flowing like you've beyond anything you've needed verse 26 this is a hyperbole okay the moon will shine like the sun the sunlight will be seven times brighter now this is written before the times of global warming when everyone goes, oh no, Um, factor 50 won't even work. No, that's not the point. It's it's glorious is the point. Way above and beyond anything you know now is the point here. Verse 26, when the Lord binds up the bruises of the people and heals the wounds he inflicted. Well, yeah, that's what's going on here. He, He allowed... Judah, to experience the consequences of their foolishness, he allows us to experience the consequences of our foolish mistakes. Again, the parents of the 17-year-old daughter, look, if you don't listen, you'll just sit at home angry and frustrated. We'll inflict that upon you. But if you stop and listen, we're longing to show you grace. And then the last chunk, verses 27 to 33, his strength will make you sing, which is a long, he says, I will break Assyria when you return to me and you'll sing. Okay, when does all this take place? What well, does it keep saying, um, we will get to the sort of denouement of this narrative. Chapter 37, eventually the king, Hezekiah, says, I despair of trust in Egypt. I despair of... The chariots, I despair of alliances. Lord, all we've got is you. All we have is you. And at that point, this is when Assyria is broken. That is when the Lord steps in and demonstrates his strength and his compassion. Yet this language of intimate guidance, abundant provision, it clearly goes beyond the 7th or 8th century B.C., when do we really supremely see the Lord stand up, rise up to show compassion? Well, we know that. That's when he comes in Jesus Christ. That's when the Lord stands up, rises up off his throne and descends to this world in Jesus. That's when we see most clearly his Desire, his longing, his zeal to be gracious, and so now is the time when the Lord says again, "Listen to me. In Jesus alone is your strength for salvation. In Him alone is the way to heaven. But also the strength for today. Now is that time. Look, I've demonstrated my love. I've demonstrated my ability to save." Why would you trust in chariots? They can't save you. I can. And I love you. I, I long to save you. And I-, I long for you to trust in me day to day. Because that's for your good as well as my pleasure. Now is the time when those who trust in Jesus know the guidance Described in these verses as the Spirit enables us to understand Scripture and allows us to have our lives directed by them. I think many here would testify now is the time when the Lord has been binding up the bruises of his people and healing wounds. The shames of the past, the suffering of the past, our mistakes in the past as he heals restores binds up now he's about that work now and then this hyperabundance abundance and of the, at the end verses 23 to 26 I think that awaits us in glory when the prospect of a bright shining sun is a good thing <laughs> and the abundance is a pleasure the Lord longs to be gracious both in salvation for eternity, but he longs to demonstrate his strength, his reliability, his faithfulness today in trusting him for the day-to-day needs of this week. So don't trust in chariots, your resources, alliances. We need them. We use them. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of things we use day-to-day. Trust in him. Trust first in him. Let's pray together. Lord God, certainly for myself this morning, I'd want to repent of trusting myself and not in you. Trusting in my resources and not in you. Trusting in the strength that others can give primarily rather than you. Trusting in you for salvation, yes, but for daily life, no. Father, help us be realistic about this. Of course, we we use means every day. But would we have one master? And would we see you as the one who is able to protect us and longs to do so, longs to be gracious, longs to stand up to rise and show compassion? Father, would we trust in you? Not in chariots, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.